Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. It's the Bama Online Podcast, Travis Ryer. Senior analyst for BOL, joined by Alabama team reporter extraordinaire, Charlie Potter. Did you really think we were taking Christmas Eve off? Come on. Come on now. Now, Charlie Charlie is yet to have children. Mine are fully grown. So three words we don't have to deal with on this Christmas Eve, Charlie. No assembly required or some assembly acquired, required, I guess. I'm so thankful I don't have to deal with those three words on this Christmas Eve. I don't have to put together a trampoline or, you know, maybe a playhouse or maybe a couple of bicycles or a basketball goal. I I don't mind. I don't miss that, Charlie. Uh, Are are you ready for that at this point in your life? I would be. I think that would be fun. I know, you know, you say that beforehand and maybe for the first couple of times, but after a while, yeah, that would, that would probably get old. Um, I have uh, one niece and, and two nephews, and they're a little older now. Um, you know, one's in their first year of college, one's a sophomore in high school, and the other one's twelve. But you know, whenever I was home, and you know, we would have Christmas and everything, and they would get just the the buttload of toys that they would. It would always fall on me to open them and put them together, and especially with things like uh, Legos and, and things like that, it always ended up I had to put them together. So um, that, that never bothered me. Um, you know, I've always been the youngest uh, in the family, whether it's my immediate siblings, cousins. So I'm, I'm used to kind of all of that attention and stuff being on me and, and all the toys uh, being bought for me and, and dealing with that. So I, I have no problem with it. I'm sure, though, you know, when, when it comes to putting together the big things, that would that would get old pretty quickly. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, the, the part they don't give you, the uh... – the piece they don't give you is the oil. You know, that <laughs> oil is for yourself, if you know what I'm saying. You got to be oiled a little bit. You got to self oil, self lubricate to help yourself maybe get through some of that. And I look, I admit it, I'm not the most mechanical person, mechanically inclined individual to ever grace this uh, planet. So uh, that's a problem in and of itself. But uh, you going to the B? You going up to Boaz uh, to visit the folks? Charlie, what, what's the plan for Christmas Day? Yeah, that's what the plan is right now. It's it's been in flux this week. I mean, you know, with with everybody dispersed uh, over the southeast, it, it, you know, you have to get together and come up with an organized plan. And and we're going to go to to Boaz. It's not going to be an official Christmas because my older sister can't make it because of work. But uh, we're going to go eat dinner with my folks. We're not going to do any presents or anything like that. But you know, we were talking about it before the podcast. We don't have just huge Christmas traditions. Um, at my house, um, it's it's a time of year that's kind of just like a month long tradition. My mom has you know Santa decorations in in cabinets throughout the year and, and brings all that out, and uh, you have the the china on the table and everything like that. But we don't have just something we do and, and must do every year. We just get together, uh, eat, we'll exchange gifts. Uh, there usually be a, a movie on, and we'll play some board games and things like that. But this time of year, I mean, that that's all you can ask for. I mean, the, there was times when you thought you wouldn't be able to go home, you know, earlier in the year. Yeah. So I'll enjoy that. But uh, it sounds like we'll have round two of Christmas at a later date to, to be determined. But for now, yeah, heading up to Boaz on Christmas morning because uh, another thing that I guess kind of takes away some of the, the pageantry and tradition of Christmas is being married to a, a medical worker. My wife's a nurse, and she has to work Christmas Eve night. So uh, she'll have to sleep a little bit and then – Rest up and, and head to Boaz, which is always joy. God bless her. I mean, that's a incredible field, and we're thankful to have folks like her 
doing the job she does. Uh, no questions asked, no complaints. Uh, those frontline workers, especially in a situation like we find ourselves in right now, are one of the biggest blessings we have working uh, in our favor. Now, Christmas traditions around our house, pretty much as I've stated before, as long as we get Waffle House for <laughs> breakfast on Christmas morning, we've checked the boxes. That's essentially it. That's the extent of the Christmas tradition around uh, the Ryer household. Now, uh, we've had to kind of evolve into these neutral site. We're kind of like the Alabama football of Christmases now. You know, Alabama loves those neutral site games. We've been doing neutral site Christmases for a few years now because we've got older children, grown children uh, all over the place, Montana, Hawaii, you name it. Uh, so we've put together these neutral sites. So we will extend the Waffle House tradition on Christmas morning. It'll just be somewhere probably in the middle of Kentucky for all I know. <laughs> yeah, that's all I can kind of that's all I can kind of guarantee at this point. But you're not a big peppermint guy when it comes to the flavors of Christmas, peppermint, uh, things like that, you, that. None of those really resonate with you, Charlie. No, I like that stuff. It's just we don't really have something that is served every year. My dad likes to um, eggnog kind of branch out. Eggnog. Now, well, we talked about that with Tim the other day. Yeah, I have to be um, at a Christmas party and pretty lit already to drink eggnog. Um, <laughs> so it's just some spiced know. rum in it, a little yeah, bourbon it, maybe. Yeah, you yeah. you flavor it up enough, and I'll I'll be happy with anything, but. That that just um, you know, off the cuff to start things out. Eggnog's not my my drink of choice. No. Uh, um, see, like my dad, like this year, I think we're doing steaks for dinner, and it's just you, you kind of call nice. and you ask mm-hmm. like, so so what are we doing this year? Just whatever he decides to do, um, we roll with it. And uh, I like that move. That's yeah. a strong Christmas move right there. Going with the steaks, I like it. We've done the beef tenderloin. You know, on Christmas, yeah, we've beer, done steaks. Yeah. I like the beef approach to Christmas. I'm not going to lie, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that we had so much Thanksgiving food. And, like, Thanksgiving food kind of rolls over to Christmas a lot of the times anyway. You, you'll have, like, a ham, and you'll have the sides, of course, and everything like that. I think my dad just got kind of tired of it because there for a while you had – our family would get together. We would go to his side of the family. We'd go to my mom's side of the family. And uh, we don't do that anymore because, you know, my parents are older. So, you know, a lot of people aren't with us anymore. But, you know, now we just get together as an immediate family with my folks and my sisters. And um, the the beef has definitely been a trend of late. So if, if I guess, you know, if we have a tradition, it's that. It's, it has been beef tenderloin or, or steak probably the last four or nice. five years. So, yeah, that's, that's one I, I wouldn't mind if it sticks around. Papa Potter, he's all right with me. If he wants to do the steaks, I'm down. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the Christmas break, we're going to get into some Alabama football talk, obviously. We're going to also, on the approach to the 12 days of Christmas, we're going to give you a ranking of the 11 SEC football wins for the Alabama Crimson Tide during the 2020 season. We'll do that a little bit later in the podcast, but let's get caught up first, Charlie, on exactly where this team sits right now. I guess a couple of practices earlier in the week, Nick Saban giving them a few days, the players to, if if they can, if they want to try to get home, try to see family for a couple of days. Uh, And then how will it work in terms of reconvening, uh, looking ahead to next week, I guess here on campus, and then ultimately making that trip out to the, to the Dallas area. Yeah. Um, talking on ESPN uh, on Sunday after it was announced that Alabama was going to be playing in Arlington, which I think some of us were kind of surprised by even, you know, talking in the press box with some people from Alabama. Um, they, I think they were expecting new Orleans, which, you know, at this time of year and with everything going on, going to a new Orleans is kind of a shell of itself. I, I don't really want to see that. That'll upset me. So I'm okay with going to Arlington, but Speaking on ESPN on Sunday, Nick Saban said they were going to approach this week like a bye week. And he's really talked all season long about keeping the rhythm of the season. And a bye week is something that isn't for in Alabama. They've had one before. They had a week where they didn't play a game and they practiced through it. So they practiced Monday and Tuesday. But then the players disperse and they'll come back Saturday and practice. So they'll have three true days off uh, for Christmas. And 
you know, it's, it's a decision that I know some Alabama fans have had reservations about. You see Notre Dame and Brian Kelly is elected to keep their players on campus. Um, one of the reasons for that is they have a lot of players from California and just logistically uh, it didn't make sense to them. But you know, Nick Saban said that he doesn't have the heart to tell the players they can't go home for Christmas. And so, um, you know, they let the players leave uh, for the bye week to go home. And they came back in Alabama didn't have any kind of breakout or a spike in cases. So they're hoping for the same. And they're going to do the same thing just in terms of uh, protocols and educating their families. I know they're, they're taking a, a packet of sanitary items and things like that. And they've had video conferences with the parents and the people they'll be around. So you hope that's the case for round two. But you know, they'll come back Saturday. They'll practice. And then that's going to be just kind of a normal week, only a day um, I'm going back a day because the game is on Friday, January 1st. So next week will be normal. Um, it, it won't be normal in a, um, an interview sense because we'll get you know, Nick Saban and then both coordinators and I think 12 total players uh, from an interview perspective and then Saban again on Thursday before the game. But um, they're going to treat next week as normal as possible just to kind of keep that rhythm, that flow of the season and, and not, have, not have any kind of disruptions. So let's talk about some awards and some finalists for some national awards. Obviously, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, uh, Najee Harris. Uh, but we've seen some some all-SEC teams in recent days. The coaches team has come out. The AP, I know uh, CBS Sports did both its all-SEC and all-America teams. And as we expected and as we saw, heavy representation from this Alabama team um, Mac Jones, first team all SEC quarterback, I guess, uh, if you get down to it and you look at he and Kyle Trask and, uh, you consider the SEC championship game, perhaps a tiebreaker of sorts. That one goes in Mac's favor. Uh, Patrick Sertan, defensive player of the year, Devonte Smith, offensive player of the year. When you look at these all SEC teams, Charlie, um, was there though a potential snub or two in your opinion? Was there a surprise or two? Uh, I think a Christian Harris, maybe as a, a linebacker, I guess you could have gone with just about any of these Alabama offensive linemen first or second team, <laughs> given what they've done this year. Uh, and it was a tough year to be a kicker in the sec, man, because, uh, Will Reichard was perfect and he actually made like an all American team with CBS sports. And I guess he was a Groza award finalist, but, uh, just kind of your thoughts on how some of that rolled out with the the all sec teams. Yeah. I mean, um, Reichard was the biggest, uh, omission for me because he was a finalist for the Lou Groves award, which goes to the nation's top kicker. And they only announced three finalists and, and, um, he's been perfect on the season. You know, he's kicked double digit field goals. He leads the country in extra points. Um, you know, I'm not sure what else the guy has to do to get some recognition from the coaches and the media that vote in this poll, uh, because, he wasn't on the first or second team. Um, and then, yeah, for me, Christian Harris, um, and, and it's not the fact that, you know, Christian has just had an unbelievable season. It's that if you look at the coaches, um, all SEC team, that Dylan Moses made the second team. And I thought that Christian's had a stronger season, uh, than Dylan. So that one's just, uh, those are the two biggest, uh, omissions for me. It was nice to see that Jalen Waddle got some love from the coaches just because, um, you know, he was having a hell of a year before his injury, obviously. And, yeah, I think if, if you, you talk about another uh, snub, maybe Will Anderson you know, gets some more love. Um, yeah, I know he was on the second team for the uh, the AP All-SEC team. But he's, here's a guy that in the last four games has had seven sacks and now leads the SEC in that category. So um, just the guys that, that didn't get mentioned um, are the ones – those are the ones that stick out to me. I think everything else, you know, kind of went – uh, kind of up to chalk, um, you know, uh, Devontae makes total sense as SEC Offensive Player of the Year in, in both of those um, outlets. Uh, I was kind of a little bit surprised by Sertan just because he's a corner, and I feel like sometimes they don't get enough love, but you can't deny the year that he's had, and he's been um, a lockdown corner for sure. And then Nick Saban, I mean, being named the Coach of the Year in both of those. Um, you know, this week I've dealt with a lot of idiots on social media, <laughs> and <laughs> – I saw a guy, so, I think like every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. But like this, this week more so than, than ever, you know, if, 
if, if they, right. you know, if Santa Claus is listening, these guys need to be uh, bumped down the naughty list a few pegs. But um, one guy, I'm just going to read this one because it, it really just, it bugged me. He said, why Saban coach of the year? Because he recruits well. Did he do something special in coaching this year? Who couldn't win with that roster? And I just responded, he won 11 games or 11 SEC games in a pandemic. Like, what else do you have to yeah. say? Like, and had COVID himself. Exactly. And thought he thought he might have had it another time. And went and, went through two weeks, two of the biggest weeks of the year on the schedule. He went through COVID protocol himself, Charlie. And since when does recruiting not become a key factor in coaching? Like, there's well, guys that ever are brings up player development in that exactly. either. Do they? It, they, it's just if it was that easy, why is LSU five and five this year and exactly. had to win their ass off down the stretch to get to five and five? Right. It's just, it's just a I don't know. It's it's a mind boggling thing, but. Um, when you look at Saban and Smitty and, and Pat um, and the guys that were on the first team, those are the guys that are up for uh, national awards. We know that um, you know, Mac Jones is up for every uh, quarterback award. He's a finalist for the Maxwell. Devontae Smith is well, as well, and, and he's, a, I think, the front runner for the Bolitnikoff. Uh, Pat's a, a, a finalist for, for three different awards. I think the Nagurski was actually awarded this week, so now it's two with the Benaric and the Thorpe. And then uh, we mentioned Riker for the Groza, Alex Leatherwood for the Outland, um, trying to think, Landon Dickerson for the Remington, and then Najee Harris for the Doak Walker. And you know, he's a guy that we'll learn um, later on Thursday, the, the finalists for the, the Heisman. And uh, Alabama, if you look at the odds, have two, uh, three of the top five players uh, for that. So that'll be interesting to find out. But award season, um, all SEC teams. I haven't seen a lot of All-America teams from the, the, the groups that make up consensus and unanimous All-Americans yet, but I'm sure Alabama will be leading the charge there. So uh, just like the preseason, when you roll out watch lists, it's been real busy for Alabama. I don't think I, I expect that to continue to slow down at all. Yeah, you had some freshman All-SEC guys too, I guess. J.V. on Cohen, Will Anderson, Malachi Moore. Uh, so that's a nice group there with the – with the youngsters and uh, you know what else recruiting never stops either. It, the, the, the award season never stops. And then on Wednesday, we see Alabama pick up a commitment from a five-star running back in Kamar Wheaton, 5'11", 190 pounds. Watched a good bit of tape of this guy, Charlie. He's a little different style and skill set than some of the guys we've seen. You know, he's not a Najee Harris. He's not 6'2", 6'3", 230 pounds. Uh, reminds me a little bit of, say a Dalvin cook type of running back, not mm-hmm. to say he's going to be Dalvin cook, just saying in terms of skill set uh, and the way he does it on tape. And I guess it brings to mind from our perspective, more of the team approach, right? Because we immediately think about the current situation at Alabama, where the running back position is concerned. And there are some question marks, no doubt about it. Moving ahead to 2021, Obviously, Najee moving on. Uh, you would think Brian Robinson would be doing the same. Keelan Robinson opted out this year, had the injury, the latest injury to Trey Sanders and that unfortunate car accident that he was involved in back in November. Seen some really good things from Jace McClellan. Seen some flash from Roydell Williams. No Kyle Edwards is still around. So, Charlie, when you think about this type of addition, understanding this is a five-star talent, you know, what what's your what's your immediate thoughts on the running back position with Wheaton jumping in here, moving forward. Does it, does it signal anything to you maybe about Trey Sanders, about uh, Keelan Robinson and whether or not he will be back? How do you sort of, how do you compartmentalize all that? Yeah. I mean, you never know with stuff like that. You hope that Trey, um, you bounces back soon, but when you have a, a horrific accident like that and, your hip is affected, you know, that's, that's worrisome for a running back. So, uh, you know, we'll see with that, but that is something that I immediately thought about. But two, I mean, Kamar Wheaton, you know, hearing from, from Hank and Tim and, and everywhere else that um, the kind of player he is, and you just outlined it really well too. I don't think Alabama turns down a player like that if he wants to jump on board. And it sounds like they've been in the mix with him uh, the entire time. And um, yeah, I know Oklahoma felt pretty good about it, but when Nick Saban and, and Alabama want a running back, you know, more often than not, they're going to get them. And you know, you're losing Najee Harris. You know, we haven't heard anything about any seniors deciding to come back yet. So that means that for now, 
you just assume that Brian Robinson is leaving. So that's two off the board already at the running back position. And, um, you know, you, you don't know about Keelan Robinson. He hasn't been around uh, for a while. We haven't heard anything from, from Keelan in a while. And so, you know, that's, that's potentially three off the board. So yeah, I think maybe you, you put on a little pressure uh, from a recruiting aspect and, uh, you know, you, you, highlight him as the guy that you want and then you know you add him to the mix of you know trey sanders if he can come back healthy and then like you said i think jace mcclellan and roy dell williams have really um flashed some ability and potential for the future so you add a five-star and kamar wheaton to that group and you feel good about losing a guy like Najee harris who's been your leading rusher for the past couple seasons so a big pickup for alabama and uh, oh, I wanted to mention this to you. Um, you know, Kristen Saban is very active on on Twitter. Nick Saban's daughter, uh-huh. and she tweeted out about how she was watching the Bee Gees documentary with her dad on HBO last night. Yes. He didn't even mention uh, the fact that they were getting a five star running back. But uh, <laughs> have, have you have you seen that documentary? It's a I have seen documentary. it, and I, I, it is. I enjoyed it immensely because you talk about for someone's foundation uh, formative years. I mean, you know, when Saturday Night Fever and all that hit, you know, I'm an old fart. So, you know, <laughs> I was eight, ten years old. So, sonically, some of the very first things that I truly remember in my musical formative years, whether I was a huge fan or not, and I was probably in the middle somewhere with the Bee Gees, uh, it was, I thought it was tremendous, Charlie. Did uh, I, I'm glad you liked it because as a younger person, it, 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 it gave you a great idea of exactly, you know, how sort of defining that stretch was there. Yeah, it's one of those things like obviously I didn't grow up as a Bee Gees fan or anything like that. I mean, my parents are, are older. They're they're older than, than you, than Tim, you know, and, and I I grew up in a house with you know, the Beatles and Elvis and things like mm-hmm. that. I know the classics, but you know, the Bee Gees weren't at the top of their playlists. Um, so. I, I know all that music. Like it's it's one of those things when you hear you're like, oh damn, I didn't know that. And then to mm-hmm. see uh, some I, of the I, songs I, they wrote that yeah. that I that I wasn't even aware of, and I'm 52 years old next week. Yeah, I wasn't aware of the some of the the huge songs that they wrote that they didn't even perform. And even before they hit it, you know, there in the 70s, you know how they were sort of the parallel to a band like the Beatles. I didn't. It, it informed me on multiple levels about stuff I didn't know about the Bee Gees. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about documentaries like that is you walk away learning something, but it's entertaining at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you know, to see how they recorded uh, the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever just hit after hit after hit, you, know, you have to appreciate something like that. And um, you know, I've watched it. Uh, I, I caught it the first time like midway through, and I finished it. Then I, I watched it again, and, and my wife's kind of made fun of me, thinking I'm just the world's biggest Bee Gees fan now. But it's a... <laughs> It's an entertaining documentary, and I have to give her a little crap, too, because the only thing she watches is The Bachelorette, and then <laughs> she will turn it to Friends reruns. So at least That's I'm, it. I'm broadening yeah. my license with learning. You're something. broadening yourself there, Charlie. We like that. And it's also it's also funny to think about Nick Saban watching a Bee Gees documentary <laughs> and thinking about Nick in the 70s. He probably had that same getup as Travolta. Probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. He did. He probably had that vest and that, you know, that polyester suit with a, I will say though, little lifts in his heels, you know, on those uh, shoes like Johnny T had. Yeah. I would like to see him sport the hair of the Bee Gees. <laughs> that was something that uh, it's borderline Barry this. Gibb right now, you know, kind of in a way, you know, he's trying yeah, to keep it that, that way. I see that. Yeah. It's a, it's a but, strong 70s retro look that Nick's had going for a while. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry to get off on the <laughs> Well, you know, maybe some other time we'll rank Bee Gees albums. But, I'm going to uh, do some research on that one. <laughs> yeah, me too, even. Hey, uh, but what we'll do today after we come back from the break, we'll rank Alabama's 11 SEC wins in an utterly historic season for the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll do that on a Christmas Eve edition of the Bama Online Podcast. When Charlie Potter and myself return right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of a Christmas Eve edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Uh, we took you through some team information where the Alabama football squad is concerned. Before we get into these rankings, too, need to hit on this Alabama men's basketball team real quick, Charlie, and coming off a win on Tuesday night over East Tennessee State over at Coleman Coliseum. It's interesting because at 5-3 and three now, Alabama will go into Southeastern Conference play next Tuesday with Ole Miss coming into town. That's an 8 o'clock tip-off on the SEC Network you know, we had this as a topic a uh, month or two ago right here on the podcast, Charlie, and we, we asked the question, will Alabama go over or under two losses in non-conference play before going into uh, the, the, the conference portion of the schedule? Still obviously you have Oklahoma out there as a part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, later in January, but uh, here they are, Charlie, at five and three. I, I felt like they would be right on the two. Um, so I would I would venture to say both of us, not maybe shocked to see them with three losses, but anticipated that this team would be at two or fewer going into this stretch of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about that podcast every now and then because I said they were going to lose one game. Um, but if you had told me that, you would take the Houston game off the schedule and not tell me who it was replaced with, but obviously you would know it wouldn't be that quality of an opponent. Um, and to say that Alabama still went five and three before SEC play, I, I would know that something was wrong. And I think a lot of people had high expectations for this team. They placed a lot of high expectations on themselves, what they said before the season. You just look at the talent they brought in and, you know, maybe it's taken some time to mesh, but, um, you know, they've had some struggles defensively and, and surprisingly their offense has, has kind of been, the bugaboo of late. And I don't think a lot of people expected that, but um, you know, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, they're going to have to, to bounce back quickly. Um, I thought they played well in the second half against East Tennessee state. You know, they kept things close in the first half, but um, you know, Jaden Shackelford kind of got out of his slump a little bit. We saw Javon Quinterly play more consistent and uh, you know, they, they did so in a game without John Petty or James Rojas who had played, um, you know, well in the, the last couple of games. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, uh, I think most people would agree that I think they expected them to be in a, a better, um, you know, record situation. I thought they would lose a game in, um, Asheville, Asheville for the Maui invitational and then yeah. maybe beat a Clemson and then you take Houston off the board and, uh, you know, they, they were close to getting that Western Kentucky win, but not close enough. So, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can bounce back. They need some more consistency, though, for sure. Yeah, um, it was good to see the 20 assists in the game, I thought, on Tuesday night. And you know, we've heard Nate Oates talk about the ball not moving enough. It's sticking too much. You know, 20 assists and just nine turnovers, I think it was. That's that's what you want to see on you know, 29 baskets or somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, but let me ask you about Rojas and Petty. Is, is that a red flag? Uh, considering that you are going into conference play and, you know, on the surface, at least you're perhaps still dealing with some things from a, a chemistry and trying to bring this team together. I mean, we know that uh, this staff under Nate Oates in a very short period of time has been able to assemble uh, what is apparently a, a very talented roster, uh, but making it mesh, making it all work. And I guess you also have to consider you know, if you're going to do it for football, as we've heard so often, how the pandemic and the ramp up to a season, you know, was was costly and in, in some ways to a lot of teams. Uh, I guess we got to consider that as a part of, of what Alabama men's basketball has been through as well. And we've certainly seen prominent programs like Duke, Kentucky uh, struggle mightily in, in trying to to adapt and make those needed adjustments. What, what What do you think of all this at this point in the season that that this type of stuff is is what NATO still has on his plate. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, talking about dealing with with idiots this week. Um, there's been a lot of rumors <laughs> about what uh, the the Petty and the Rojas 
situation was and the rumors that are out there are completely false i can say that i, I mentioned it on the the message board um yeah it, it is also not something COVID related which is good i think alabama men's basketball has done a good job of um maintaining and and you know keeping with the protocols i don't think they've had a positive case since august and so it, it's something that stemmed from the western kentucky game it happened during that i don't know the the complete logistics of it but you know, something was, was said and, and, um, you know, Nate Oates handled it after the game and that's why those guys didn't sit. He expects them to be back after Christmas and playing against Ole Miss. So we'll, we'll see if that comes to fruition. But you know, when you have a guy like John Petty, who's a, a leader on your team, a senior and a guy like Rojas, who is you know, a Juco guy that has been in the program, um, you know, you want to see, I guess, better behavior and, and, you know, buy-in from those guys. And we'll see if, you know, that, happens um you know when the rebels roll into town and, and you know, if it's something they brush under the rug that that's fine i think they have solid leadership from guys like uh herbert jones and, and jordan bruner and even alex reese is stepping up a little bit as a leader and being more vocal so i think they need more of that they need guys to be held accountable and um you know it, it's a uh, it, it definitely piques your interest but um, I will say if anybody has read the rumors out there and, and believe that for a second, it, it's completely false. And, um, you know, I, I think that we'll, we'll see what happens in Ole Miss to, to see you know, what the status of these guys will be moving forward. There you go. Well, at that, let's get into ranking some. Let's rank the Alabama SEC football wins of the season. Eleven, a historic 11 SEC wins for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Charlie, we're going to go from 11 to one going to go casey case top 40 style here with you um give me your 11 give me your number 11 on these list of 11 sec wins that we're ranking uh what's your 11th best win for alabama this season all right now i'm gonna say right now this was hard uh <laughs> i've got uh, uh two or three different lists uh the the top five were, were pretty easy but then once you get yeah. the um it was just like well, I could move this game here, this game here. And I started just looking at, at scores and records. And uh-huh. for me, at number 11, I know it's a rivalry game, but I went with Tennessee just because Tennessee is a team that uh, really, um, you know, shuttered down the, the final stretch of the season. They finished with a 3-7 and seven record, and uh, Alabama won that game in Knoxville 48-17. Uh, to 17. So, with that one, I, I put that one at the bottom, and, and it was tough to do just because I know how much that game means to, to so many people. But, um, yeah, that one just – when I was thinking back on these games and what Alabama was able to accomplish, that one didn't really stick out to me other than the Jalen Waddle injury, and that's kind of the, the stain on that game. Like, as someone – Pretty big one, yeah. Covers the, the game and is there and in person, like that dominated the rest of it. And I, I don't just remember a ton else that happened in that game. So that one got the 11th spot for me because of, of what happened in the game and just the, the score. It wasn't that convincing like some of the others and the fact that Tennessee is sitting here with three wins. So I went with Tennessee at 11, and uh, I will say it wasn't necessarily a unanimous choice. I went Arkansas at 11. That just had the feeling of uh, the SEC's making us do it game, you know, at that point. Uh, Mid-December, got to go to Fayetteville. No Evan Neal. Christian Harris goes down on the first snap of the game with a shoulder injury. It's 38-3 to at the half. Najee Harris, Devontae Smith only played a half. He had season lows for Mac Jones and Devontae in terms of passing yards and receiving yards but you had six rushing touchdowns which proved to be more than enough and of course Devonte, in terms of heisman moments the punt return uh would would qualify i'd say in that game but i went arkansas 11 charlie goes tennessee at 11 number 10 charlie who do you got for us i went arkansas here and the reason for that is too i, I agree with you it was the kind of the, the game that wasn't necessary at that point in the season. But uh, I think it was impressive the fact that, that Arkansas played defense in such a way that they kind of took away the deep shot and eliminated um, you know just the, the long balls from Mike Jones to Devontae Smith, and yet Alabama was still able to win the game 52-3. to I think that was impressive. And to do so, you're shorthanded with no Evan Neal, like you said, and then Christian Harris going down on the first defensive snap of the game. 
And so uh, I think Arkansas is an improved team. You know, we saw them win three SEC games from not winning a single SEC game over the last two years. And, um, you know, that was a game that I think Alabama could have overlooked and looked ahead to Florida like Florida did for uh, LSU. And they didn't. They won that game 52 to three. I wanted to rank it higher for that reason. But like you said, it, it was a game that uh, almost felt unnecessary. So it got the 10th spot for me. What about you at number 10? Number 10, I'm going to go Kentucky here in uh, Tuscaloosa. That was a depleted Kentucky team, as we know. Not that it would have mattered in terms of the ultimate win or loss scenario, but, uh, you know, Kentucky actually moved the ball early in that game, but had some mistakes uh, that were really problematic for the visiting Wildcats. Alabama ran for 226 and five touchdowns, uh, and that was after the break, too, right? That was like a three-week break in between Mississippi State and Kentucky. You had the LSU postponement you had the open week and you know this is one of those games too though against Kentucky you started to see Jace McClellan late in games do some pretty impressive things so I got Kentucky at 10 you've got Arkansas at 10 what about number nine Charlie who you got yeah I had the Kentucky game at nine and um, you know it's another really impressive score 63 to three uh, but yeah, you, you mentioned it. I mean, Kentucky was just riddled with COVID issues for that game. And, and on top of that injuries, it seemed like you know, they were just holding themselves together with band-aids at that point coming into the game. So um, it, it was, it was tough for me to, to rank it that way, but it was also, like you said, coming off of that break, I think Alabama responded pretty well when we started to see, um, you know, the, the team kind of take shape from a holistic standpoint with the defense. So um I know it was uh, a team that was shorthanded, but still we started to see you know, this defense kind of be what it is today, and uh, that's why it, it got the, the number nine spot for me. I went with uh, Mississippi State in the nine hole. Uh, that was that last game in October before the uh, unexpected extended break for Alabama. First shutout for Alabama. You talked about the defense uh, against Kentucky, first shutout for Alabama in that win over State, I guess, since the 2018 game against State uh, in Tuscaloosa. So I've got the Bulldogs there. That was also the first game post first first week of prep. Anyway, I mean, he pretty much played Tennessee without Jalen Waddle. But in terms of going into a game without Jalen Waddle, that was Mississippi State, and of course Devontae went off 11 for 203 and four touchdowns. So. Uh, I've got a shutout of the air raid in Mike Leach there in the nine hole. Uh, what about number eight, Charlie? What do you got? Yeah, ours would have been similar if I didn't put Tennessee at the bottom because I had Mississippi State at number eight. And, yeah. you know, it's it's a game where it is a shutout. Uh, Alabama scored 41 points, and you look at the rest of the scores of the season, that's its second lowest total, and that's crazy to say. It's tied for the second lowest. They scored 41 in the Georgia game. But uh, I think to, to hold uh, Mike Leach in that air raid, um, off the scoreboard uh, was impressive. We, we later learned that it wasn't that big of an accomplishment because everybody kind of figured it out in the SEC. But the shine was still on uh, the Pirate and the Air Raid heading into that game. It was still a, a storyline and how Alabama was going to defend it. And they defended it pretty damn well. So uh, I went with that at the eight hole. And, um, you know, those, those last, uh, these last, I guess, six games or five or six games, I, they were jockeying for position for me, but uh, I, I put Mississippi State at, at number eight. I went with Tennessee at eight, so we kind of flipped, like you said, on a couple of these, but we were in the same ballpark for sure on pretty much all of them. Waddle goes out, as you said early. We talked about it. Uh, opening kickoff, it didn't really matter. Slade Bolton stepped in there, did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. um, had the one-loss fumble in the game, but – Oh, kind of interesting that Mac throws for 393 in a game and doesn't have a touchdown pass. That's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to throw for 393 yards and at least one of them not end up uh, in the end zone. Uh, defense gave up a couple of explosive plays uh, to Jared Guarantano, but also got that touchdown in that game for Malachi Moore. So I've got Tennessee. I'm with you. There's some Alabama fans that no matter what, they're going to have – Auburn and Tennessee wins at the top of these list, but uh, for us, Tennessee in the in the back half of of our eleven. Hey, let's get into number seven, Charlie. As we wind down here, who do you have as the seventh best win for Alabama in this SEC only season? 
Yeah, I went with Missouri. Um, you know, that was obviously the season opener and we got to the season. Finally, everybody was excited to see football. And, um, you know, we, we talked about, I talked about the, uh, the low point turnout at 38 points, that being your lowest point total of the season. It's a pretty good season offensively. And, um, you know, we saw Missouri, um, you know, play pretty well this season. They finished at 500 at five and five. And I know a lot of people kind of thought that, uh, Elijah Drinkwitz might get some love for SEC coach of the year. But again, we, we both believe that Nick Saban was more than deserving of that. And, uh, it, it showed that Missouri could be a, a formidable opponent. They scored 19 points on Alabama. I thought the defense though, um, they showed some really good things against Missouri. Uh, and some of the things maybe we haven't seen since that point or didn't see for a while. Uh, I thought the linebackers played great in that game. I thought that Dylan Moses and Christian Harris and Will Anderson were just all over the field. Um, and it, it, it showed it maybe a sign of things to come. We didn't see that in the, the next couple of games uh, from the, the defense, or at least in the front seven, but um, it, it showed that the defense was kind of back. Uh, they took a little bit of a backseat and had to jump up in the front midway through the season, but I thought the Missouri game was a, a nice showing. It was a pretty balanced showing, and um, you know it turns out Missouri was a, was a pretty good team at the end of the day. I also went with Missouri at number seven. Uh, mostly because I went that high with Missouri because we actually had a season opener in yeah. 2020. <laughs> Just the fact, as you alluded to, that there was a football game to open a 2020 season bumped Missouri up my list. And yeah, that first half was ultra impressive. Jumped out 28 to three. The stars delivered right, right from the outset. Mac Waddle, uh, Najee Harris, Dylan, uh, Christian Harris, Patrick Sertan, uh, those guys were all really, really good in that first half. Second half, eh, played a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was a good thing about that opener, too. Uh, so many teams go into these, you know they go into that type of situation thinking, man, we're you know, we're probably not going to get to play a lot of guys. Alabama was fortunate to be able to do that throughout the season despite SEC-only play. So kind of started with that. Um, so, yeah, I went with the trip to Como at number seven. What about number six, Charlie? Who you got? I will say before we move on from Missouri, uh, you mentioned getting to the season opener. Um, you know, with everything going on, uh, you know, Tim and I had discussions about travel because we mentioned on the podcast before of how everything's virtual, so there's no post game interviews in person, and you can get some some good things from those because they bring players up all at once, and you kind of have to pick and choose. But now that's not the case, and. Um, I, I really petitioned to to go to be able to see the pregame warmups and see the team for really the first time because we didn't have any kind of practice viewing in the preseason. And now Tim thinks that uh, Columbia, Missouri is in the top five of my all time uh, desired places to travel. Like it was on my bucket list by how much <laughs> I tried to, to go to that game. So I wanted to throw that nugget out there now. If you ever uh you hear Tim giving me crap about um Missouri it's for that but at number six I went with Ole Miss um I know you know we were just talking about the defense that was obviously the worst performance of the season for the defense but it really showed the chops of the offense and they can against a defense that isn't the best in the world this this offense can can name its score and um you know they kept him in that game obviously you know Mac Jones you know had a big day so did everybody else and it's just a it's a game where the defense um, you know wants to forget and I think improved from that learned a lot from it uh, but it showed that there's a reason why Alabama has three legit contenders for the Heisman Trophy because this offense is impressive it's talented and it's balanced and uh, I think that was the the best example of that in that Ole Miss game because. You know, Lane Kiffin and the Rebels gave Alabama everything it wanted and more uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And so uh, I think we were able to see that this offense was in good hands with these guys, and, and they definitely answered the bell. I could have gone either way with these next two, but at six, I went LSU. And it's a win that actually looks better now after LSU beat Florida and Ole Miss to cap the season or the regular season. That was a 45-14 game at the half. You only had 22,000 and change clanging around Death Valley. Um, you said it earlier about maybe being better off not going to New Orleans to see Alabama play in a setting like the Superdome with uh, you know limited to no crowd hardly in there. Uh, it, it sort of had that effect on me in Death Valley on that Saturday night. But, uh, you know, it, it's also a game, though, might be referred to as the – 
and then in the future is the Devontae Smith Heisman game because he was just so great. Eight for 231, three touchdowns, had the one-handed circus catch over Derek Stingley Jr. for the touchdown. Um, in retrospect, I would have liked to have seen more of Max Johnson at quarterback for LSU against Alabama, given the way he played over those two starts to end the regular season. It wouldn't, I don't think it would have mattered in terms of wins or winning or losing, but, uh, yeah, I went LSU six. What about number five for you, Charlie? I went LSU at number five and, um, you know, it is a game that uh, I think a lot of people were worried about just because LSU had nothing to lose and Alabama had everything to lose. But, you know, with Alabama going there relatively healthy, of course, we know that they were about guys like Jalen Waddell and, and Trey Sanders. But um, I don't know if, if LSU could have beaten Alabama that night just because given what happened last year, we talked all week with the players and Nick Saban that revenge wasn't really a factor. But um, or at least a motivating factor for, from from the head coach, but the players, you know, he would be naive to think that they didn't remember what happened last year. Whether it was, um, you know, the the players carrying uh, Joe Burrow off the field on their shoulders, you know, what uh, Ed Orgeron said at midfield and then in the locker room that got out uh, to the public, you know, the, the LSU players running up to Alabama's recruiting section and, and shouting things at them. Uh, there were definitely mental notes made of what happened last year, and I think they were very motivated for this game. Uh, it was kind of chippy, you could see on the field, and Alabama kind of took it out of them uh, in a, a 55 to 17 win. So, um, you know, it's the the first of a of two revenge games. And it's kind of a preview for my next one, but um, you know, for LSU, they ended up at, at five and five on the season. They, they closed things out pretty strong, but again, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, what they could have done against this Alabama team this season. I went Ole Miss at five. Um, I guess you could give LSU the tiebreaker between those two, given that LSU beat Ole Miss last weekend, at least what was left of those two teams, uh, when they faced each other there in Baton Rouge, I, the, the, the combination of a very dynamic Ole Miss offense and, what was at the time a porous, porous UA defense that night? It, it made for an incredible shootout. Najee goes for 206. Mac throws for 417. They needed all of it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith combined for 284 receiving yards. Defense gave up 647. Ole Miss had two 100 yard rushers, four rushing touchdowns, just so much stuff that. You know, if you've watched Alabama football over an extended stretch, uh, just one of those type of outings on a couple of different fronts, you you wouldn't have anticipated 20 years ago. But here we are in 2020. So I went Ole Miss five. We venture into the final four, Charlie. Who do you have in that number four spot? I went with Auburn. And, um, you know, again, the, the revenge tour continues. And, you know, for this one, um, the game was in Tuscaloosa. We know this year was kind of different from a home field advantage standpoint, but Alabama usually fares pretty well against Auburn away from Jordan Hare Stadium. But you know, to be able to do it without Nick Saban, uh, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian kind of handled the, the game day decisions on that because Saban was out with COVID. I believe it was 90 minutes before the game. He couldn't have uh, any communication with the team, and the same goes for during the game. But, um, you know, they were a motivated group because of what happened last year. I think they were motivated to win this one for their coach. And, uh, um, you know, they, they did so against their in-state rival 42-13. to 13. So um, for that one, um, you know, Auburn's a team that um, you know, had a disappointing year. They obviously fired um, Gus Malzahn, but it's a, it's a game where, you know, this one, Auburn wasn't the best, but they weren't Tennessee bad. And Alabama was able to have a little bit better showing, I thought, against them. So especially without Nick Saban uh, being on the sideline, which is just kind of crazy to say because of the continuity and consistency of that program. Uh, it's a it's an example of that to be able to go out and beat your in-state rival like they did. And, and so that one gets my fourth spot for that reason. I went A&M for, I guess I just don't have any expectations of A&M beating Alabama at this point, <laughs> or this one would be higher. I mean, just given the rankings of the teams, you know, A&M sitting there at number five in the college football playoff rankings should be higher than fourth on this list, I'm guessing. But, you know, this is when Max started that run of 400 yard games too. Mechie went off for 181 and two touchdowns. You had the Daniel Wright ups and downs in that game, <laughs> as we recall. Isaiah Spiller, though, Alabama did a really nice job 
against that A&M run game. That A&M run game really came on after the Alabama defeat, but Spiller in that game, just 25 yards on 11 carries. Again, you had some busts, though, on defense that at the time were probably an indicator of what was to come at Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that was, in retrospect, something that we, we came to to learn pretty much that, that next week. But um, I have A&M at four. What about three, Charlie? You got there. I went with Georgia. And, uh, you know, that was the game I think everybody had circled on their calendars heading into the season is a marquee matchup. It's a shame that uh, that game was in Tuscaloosa in a year where they were at 20 percent capacity because I, I would love to see just the atmosphere at Bryant-Denny Stadium for that matchup. But I think that game, especially the second half, is where we saw Alabama kind of take that turn away from that Ole Miss game and be really consistent up until the SEC championship game on the defensive side of the ball. So. Um, you know, they did so against Stetson Bennett, who's at quarterback. Um, you know, now we know that JT Daniels has taken over and the Bulldogs look like a very formidable team, but you know, at the time, um, I, I think that knocks them down a peg for me just because of the quarterback play, even though I think Stetson Bennett did some nice things against Alabama's defense, especially in the first half. But, uh, that one gets the, the number three spot for me. I went Auburn at three. Because of the Saban absence, as yeah. much as anything, the Sark game, as it'll probably be referred to in the future. Now, early in the fourth quarter, it's 42 to six. So that doesn't reek of exactly being a classic. But you had the five touchdown passes uh, from Mac, Devontae, really in the middle of that crazy stretch there to uh, sort of wind down the second half of the season. Jalil Billingsley continues to emerge. You had some interceptions by a couple of true freshman defensive backs and Malachi Moore and Brian Branch. So because of the Sark Saban sort of scenario there, I gave probably Auburn a little bit more love than I would have otherwise. What about uh, what about number two on your list, Charlie? I went with A&M, and uh, I think the reason is just because that was the, the Aggies' only loss. You know, I know that they had some close calls, but they were able to, to finish the season out unscathed. And, you know, we, we watched on Sunday where the conversation was, do they deserve a spot in the college football playoff? And I think if Alabama had, had met Texas A&M in the semifinal, uh, I think Alabama would be able to win that game pretty easily. But still, uh, I thought that, you know, that that's a game that they can kind of hang their hat on. You know, when you look at the the college football playoff rankings, they always talk about strength of record. Well, they always kind of brought up Texas A&M in that discussion. And I'm with you. I wasn't really worried about, you know, Kellen Mond and that group coming into Bryant Denny and beating Alabama. But, um, you know, you were kind of worried about them losing to someone else the rest of the season. That's just kind of been the MO there in Aggie land, but they didn't do that. They finished with an eight and one record. You know, they obviously had lost a game because of the, the, the virus and everything like that. But, um, I went with them at number two, just because they hung around and, you know, we're in the mix, uh, to be that second sec team in the, the college football playoff when, when really no one else was in the discussion. Well, I guess we're going to find out real quick here who was number one for both of us. I don't think that's going to be a surprise, but I went with Georgia number two. Um, at the time, it's a two versus three matchup here in Tuscaloosa. It's another one of those sort of what if games on this list because Alabama didn't see JT Daniels and Georgia has been undeniably better on offense since he's jumped into the lineup. But, you know, that was a that was a 24 20 game, I think. There in the third quarter, I mean, Alabama was down, but the Rikert field goal right before the half was big. Yeah. And then Alabama goes on the 21 nothing run there in the second half for Mac Jones, 400 yards, passing for a third straight game. Uh, just an incredible stretch for him there, and especially as much as they needed it. And that may have been – A&M was big, don't get me wrong, for Mac, but in terms of validation – I think that Georgia game, if there were any more folks out there that might be questioning, you know, whether he could get it done on the biggest stages and, and carry this team and stretches if he needed to, I think he answered that. Now, it helped at the time. He not only had Devontae Smith, he also had Jalen Waddell. Uh, but I had Georgia number two, which leaves us at the number one spot, the Florida Gators, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a game that um, had Florida not had the shoe incident and lost to LSU would have had uh, a playoff feel to it. And, and you know, even still after that, you could tell the talent that Florida has. I mean, just from a skill player standpoint, you know, they're probably the only team in the country that can match up with Alabama in terms of the, the weapons that Kyle Trask has around him. And they had a, a big day. Uh, I thought a guy like Malachi Moore, who's been consistent all season, kind of struggled with the matchups he was faced with. And, and defending a guy like Kadarius Toney and, and even Kyle Pitts, I mean, that's a that's a tough task for anyone, especially a true freshman. But, um, you know, Alabama's defense was able to make plays. You know, they <laughs> they continued their their trend and their role of, of sacking the quarterback. They were able to force some fumbles, uh, and that's not even including the John Mechie hit, which was a huge play in that game uh, that, that dislodged a, a ball from the interception and was able to be recovered by Smitty. So um, I think it was a, a game where you know the offense kind of sputtered a little there coming out of halftime, but you know Najee Harris had a huge game. You know Mac Jones and Devontae Smith had big games, and you know that's what you expect from those guys in a a championship setting you know there this was a game that i think was important for the heisman trophy because kyle trask is firmly in that mix too but um you know i think that alabama showed why they're the best team in the country is because they have the best players and, and mac jones and Devonte smith and, and Najee harris were able to, to carry this team and the defense made enough plays so yeah i mean i i wrote down florida immediately number one and then made out the rest of the list but um you know it, it's a game where we saw two high-powered offenses, and Alabama's defense was able to make just enough plays to win it. 28th SEC title, ninth in the SEC championship game era. Yeah, it's going to be this one. Uh, as you alluded to, survived Kyle Trask in that passing attack. In the big three, they delivered once again. Mack, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, perhaps at levels we had yet to see from them, especially when you consider – Najee with nearly 250 scrimmage yards and five total touchdowns and even special teams late with the punt from Charlie Scott and you know getting that out of him in that situation great coverage uh, they capped it uh, with special teams so yeah it's the Florida Gators at number one so there you go before the 12 days of Christmas Charlie and I our gift to you <laughs> the 11 SEC football wins for the Alabama Crimson Tide ranked in order for the 2020 season. Now, just to recap, at 11, I had Arkansas. Charlie had Tennessee. 10, I had Kentucky. Charlie with Arkansas. In the nine hole, Charlie with Kentucky. I had Mississippi State. At eight, Charlie with Mississippi State. I had Tennessee. We both had Missouri at seven. We flipped teams at six and five. I had LSU at six. Charlie had Ole Miss. At five, Charlie had LSU. I had Ole Miss. At four, Charlie with Auburn. I had Texas A&M. At three, Auburn was my pick. Georgia was the pick of Charlie. At two, Charlie had Texas A&M. I had Georgia. And we both had the Florida Gators atop that list of 11 wins for the Alabama Crimson side this season. With that, Charlie, we'll get out of here on Christmas Eve, man. But you get back to that eggnog, you know, and I know and I know you love the movie Elf. We've talked about that before. I know you just love it. So it's not that I don't like Elf. It's just not my top five favorite Christmas movies. Uh, we mentioned it before. Like, that's that was kind of the, the Christmas movie during my like middle school and high school years that everybody loved. And, you know, it, it's not that I don't like it. I, I think it's a funny movie. And, and um, Will Ferrell does a good job. But it's kind of like. The 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 non Christmas movie that everyone liked that I just like didn't get in high school was Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> it's like that for me almost. Now I, I do like Elf a lot it's more silly. than Napoleon Dynamite. It's silly. Yeah, it is, and that's that's what it should be. I mean, look at what Christmas Vacation is. I mean, that's that's my favorite Christmas movie. But that's what you want. You don't want something like freaking Christmas Shoes to watch on Christmas. So. Um, no, I mean, I'll I'll definitely turn it and see what uh, what's on. I'll have some Christmas music on. And um, just enjoy these these two days with the wife and the family. There you go. Yeah, you know, I used to love A Christmas Story, that movie, with Ralphie and the crew. But I think it's, uh, you know, now that they marathon it, I've, yeah. been, uh, I've been oversaturated with A Christmas Story, if that's possible. 
I don't care yeah. for that one either. I'd rather watch the mafia movies. I don't know why <laughs> at Christmas. Godfather, Goodfellas. They all include some Christmas in them, so I guess they qualify on some level. But, hey, Charlie, have a great holiday, man. Have a Merry Christmas, you and your family, and we'll catch up again soon. All right, same to you, Travis, and Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Have a Merry Christmas, a happy holiday season, and keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for continuing coverage of all things Crimson Tide. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.